Let's go to John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14. We'll start there. We're going to look at many passages today. But we'll start in John chapter 14, and it's a very familiar verse. No doubt most of us have committed it to memory. John chapter 14, verse 6. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word today. I want to be a help and a blessing. I pray that you'll use your word to impact our lives. Help me, Lord, to accurately represent it. And I pray that you'll do something in our lives today that will count for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Before I get started, I just will say, I love hearing Dr. Shetler give announcements. I need to hire him just to come give my announcements at church, you know. When he's done giving announcements, I feel like I want to give an offering or come forward or something. It's just absolutely phenomenal. I love this place. So Dr. Getch, I've preached here before, and when I'm done, Dr. Getch comes up and says like five minutes of out cue when my message is done, and I always get five minutes more out of his out cue than I do the whole message of what, you know, was just preached. So what a blessing this place has. Many friends here. Great to be here this morning. Now, in these last few days that we've been together, I think yesterday we talked a little bit about neo-Calvinism and its infiltration within the independent Baptist circle and uh, what should be our response to that. I spoke to the staff yesterday about the gospel coalition and some things of that nature that we need to be on guard against and the infiltration of new evangelicism within fundamentalism. But really, the topic that's been assigned for me today is something that I much more would like to talk about. Because I think it's important for us to expose error, but it's much more important for us to understand the truth and to stand in it. If we understand the truth and stand in it, then error kind of takes care of itself. There's no better way to recognize error than to completely immerse yourself in truth. So that's the topic today. How do you and I stand in truth? And I want us to think about several things. First of all, think with me about the standard of truth the standard of truth. Jesus says in this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now think about this. Out of all the people that have existed in history, all the people that have walked this earth, you and I have chosen to give our lives unreservedly to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have even staked our eternal destiny on our relationship with Jesus. Now, out of all the characters of history that we could have chosen, why Jesus? Now, there's a litany of answers that we could give. I don't know that we could completely exhaust that question, but I will say this, that at least one of the reasons that we have hitched our wagon to Jesus is because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the standard of truth. I don't know about you, but have you ever met somebody who is a chronic liar? Have you ever met somebody who they would rather walk across the street and tell you a lie than to stand still and tell you the truth? I used to be affiliated with another institution, and the president of that college was a chronic liar. The college had a camp, and one day when uh, I was driving through town, I was listening to his broadcast on the radio, and he said that they had more students that summer at the camp than they had in their entire history. 
And I knew that was fallacious. I knew it was a lie. I nearly, so I, being the devil's advocate that I am, I pulled off to the side of the road, I put my car in park, and I called the office and I asked the secretary, how could he make such a statement? And she said, we have a new way of counting. <laughs> I said, enlighten me. She said, well, we take all the students on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and add them together, and that's what we call a week's enrollment. So basically every camper was being counted five times, and that's how they got their record attendance, which just goes to show you that figures don't lie, but liars do figure. <laughs> on another instance, when he was meeting before the accreditation a committee. They asked him a question and he blatantly lied and one of the vice presidents had to stand up and actually say, no Mr. President, that's not true. He called the executive vice president into the office after it was over and said, how dare you contradict me? And he says, listen doc, I'm not trying to sink you, I'm trying to help you. If that accreditation committee finds out that you're lying to them, you're toast. And it was about that time that I wrote my letter of resignation and got off of the board. Why? I don't want to follow somebody who's a liar. I want to follow somebody who tells the truth. And you know, this is even true when it comes to the matter of guile. What is guile? Guile is truth told with wrong intent. And truth told with wrong intent beats all the lies you can't invent. For example, if someone were to come into my office and look at my vast library and say, have you read all of these books once? I could say, I've read some of them twice. Now that's guile. Because I have read some of them twice, but I'm implying that I've read all of them at least once, and that's not true. You see, you can tell the truth with wrong intent. And truth told with wrong intent beats all the lies you can't admit. It's telling truth in a way to perpetuate falsehood. Here's the deal. Jesus Christ never does that. Jesus Christ is absolutely truthful. But not merely is Jesus full of truth. Jesus is truth. Jesus is the standard of truth. Truth is measured against Jesus Christ. Something is true if it is compatible with Jesus. It's false if it's incompatible with Jesus. When Pilate asked the question, what is truth? He was looking at it in the eyeballs. Jesus Christ is the standard of our truth. He's the measure of our truth. Jesus is truth. Think with me not only about the standard of truth, but think with me secondly about the statement of truth. The statement of truth. Flip over a couple of chapters to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and look at verse 17. The Bible says, sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. So we are sanctified through divine truth and God's word is that divine truth. Now get this. If Jesus is truth, then we need to understand that the Jesus that we're talking about is not a Jesus that has been fabricated in men's minds. God is not what he fabricates him to be. God is what, it's not what we fabricate him to be. God is what he has declared himself to be in his word. Many years ago when Mitt Romney was running for president, uh, 
Baptist preacher got up and said that he could not support Mitt Romney because he was a Mormon and Mormons aren't Christians. That Baptist preacher was criticized for that statement, but I uh, believed that it was true, so I parroted what that Baptist preacher said. I gave him credit for it, but I said, that is true. Mormonism is not Christian. That statement was not edited from my radio broadcast, and I received a call in the office, my secretary did, asking if someone could come and uh, discuss my broadcast with me. Didn't say what about or anything. Sure, we made the appointment, and who came was the church representative from the local Mormon ward. We sat down in my office, and he said, Now, Pastor, I'm not asking you to say that Joseph Smith's a prophet. I said, Good, I'm not. He said, and I'm not asking you to say that the Book of Mormon is inspired scripture. I said, hey, we're two for two. <laughs> he said, but you can't say that Mormons aren't Christians. We're the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I said, yeah, but the Jesus that you're worshiping is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible didn't come and preach to the American Indians in North America. That's a fabricated Jesus. That's a pseudo-Jesus. That's a fake Christ. God is not what we fabricate Him to be. God is who He has declared Himself to be in His Word. His Word is truth. And it is this Word of the truth of the Word of God that sanctifies us, that sets us apart. What does the word sanctify mean? Married students, raise your hand. If you're a married student, raise your hand. All right. Let's say that some of you married students, let's say a man is home and he's making a salad because his wife is running late. So he's cutting up the vegetables and he's putting them in the salad and the phone rings and it's his wife on the phone. She says, honey, I have to stop by the store. And oh, by the way, we're bringing somebody, I'm bringing somebody home with me for supper. And he's thinking about this, and he's cutting the vegetables, he's talking to her. How's this all going to work? How are we going to spread this? And Okay, I, I got it, and he hangs up. All of a sudden, as he begins to toss the salad, he looks, and there's something unusual in the salad. It's a digit. He's cut off his finger. His finger's in the salad bowl. Now, what is it? That finger is distinct. It is other. It has been separated from the body and is uniquely laying in the bowl. It is a sanctified finger. The word sanctify actually means to cut. It means to separate from. It is wholly other. It is distinct. Now, in the New Testament, when this word hagios is used, it's used as something being set apart for sacred use. It's cut apart for sacred use, sacred purposes. For example, you remember in the Old Testament, God says, sanctify the first beast unto me. Well, the beast is not morally perfect. The beast doesn't even have a moral nature. The beast could be used for anything, but it's going to be set apart for a sacred use and purpose. Jesus said, what's greater, gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? The gold could be used for anything, but when it's put into the temple, it's set apart for sacred use and sacred purpose. So here's the point. God wants your life to be distinct from all that's around. 
Just as that finger is separate from everything else and laying in that salad bowl, God wants your life to be distinctly set apart from the culture and the world that is around you, not living in the dog-eat-dog world that everybody else lives in, but living uniquely and distinctly for the glory of God. Now the question is, how do I get there? Answer, God's Word. When you begin to read and assimilate and appropriate the truth of God's Word, your life becomes distinct. Dr. Faulkner used to say all the time at Tennessee Temple, he used to say, young people, you don't have to worry about separating from the world. You start living from God and the world will separate from you. Now there's a lot of truth to that. When you and I wholly give our lives unto God, of necessity we are peeling off things from our life that do not belong. And that's where the appropriation of God's word is. How do I live according to truth? I live according to the truth when I live according to the principles and the dictates and the commandments of God's word. That's the statement of truth. And when I do live that way, my life is distinct. It is other. It's something else. Think about a third thing. Not only the standard of truth and the statement of truth, but think with me thirdly about the supply of truth. Go back to John 16. The supply of truth. John 16, verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. Now get this. Just as a tour guide would lead you to a specific destination. Let's say that uh, you, okay, I lived in Tennessee for a while. Let's say that you see a sign all over Tennessee and it says, See Ruby Falls, see Ruby Falls, see Ruby Falls, see Ruby Falls. So you decide one day, man, I've never seen Ruby Falls. I must be missing something. So you go into the visitor center there. You buy your ticket for $25. You get on the elevator. You go down and a tour guide meets you and takes you back in through the cavern, through the maze. That tour guide is leading you to the falls. Just as the tour guide leads you to the falls and you trust that tour guide to get you there, so the Holy Spirit leads you to truth and you trust the Holy Spirit to lead you there. He leads you into truth. So get this. The Holy Spirit not only inspired the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the means by which we have the Bible illuminated to us. He interprets the Bible. The Bible says that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. They are discerned through means of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Just because someone holds a Bible in their hand by no means guarantees that they're going to be a master of its contents. In order to have a mastery of the contents of the Word of God, we have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we read it, for He is the one who guides us into the truth of the Word of God. Thus you understand I have to be dependent upon Him. I have to pray to Him. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. 
you got to trust the people who are leading you. And if they're not trustworthy, you've got a problem. I had a friend who had a surgery. This is probably a bad time to talk about this since Dr. R is in surgery right now. But my friend who had the surgery, after the surgery was over, she was in great pain. She had great abdominal pain after the surgery was over. And she went back to her doctor and she said, I'm, I'm in pain. I feel like something's not right. I don't feel the surgery went well. Oh, he said, that is complete poppycock. He said, uh, this is just normal surgery pain. You got to give it a while, woman. A couple of weeks pass, she's still in pain. He says, have you thought about seeing a psychologist? I think all of this is in your head. And she kept pushing the issue. And finally, after pushing the issue for weeks, he said, all right, to humor you, we'll take an x-ray. And he took an x-ray and they put it up on the screen. And there was a pair of surgical scissors still in her. She contacted hepatitis through those surgery scissors and eventually died. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. Faith is only as good as the object in which it's rooted. You understand the charismatic movement largely says have faith in faith. Just name it and claim it, brother. Well, you know, I can say, I want to run through that wall. Just name it and claim it. Well, I'm going to knock myself out. You see, that's faith in faith. That's just daring. That's not faith in God. I could have all the faith in the world that a chair could hold me, but my keister will still hit the ground if that chair is inadequately built. Because I will, my faith is only as good as the object in which that faith is rooted. Are you following this? Therefore, you understand that you and I are not building our faith based on what the classical authors have said. As we go to the Word of God, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God to lead us and to guide us into truth. And therefore, I have to be humble and recognize in my life that I need God to help me understand His Word. Take your Bibles. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 27. First John 2, 27 says this, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Now the anointing is the Holy Spirit. The person that we received him from is Jesus. So when he says the anointing which you have received of him is just another way of saying the Holy Spirit which you have received from Jesus abideth in you. And what's the consequence of that? Ye need not that any man teach you. That doesn't mean that we don't need human teachers. Of course, there's a human teacher writing this at the time. That's not the point. The point is that the final arbiter of truth is the Holy Spirit, not a human but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and all things there he means biblical truth. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit teaching you calculus or trigonometry. He's talking about all doctrinal truth. As he teaches you all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. In other words, seek to maintain your fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Remain in close abiding fellowship with the Holy Spirit, for it is out of that vibrant relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit every day that you will discover truth. He's the supply of it. 
So we've seen the standard of truth is Jesus. The statement of truth is the Bible. The supply of truth is the Holy Spirit. Now notice, fourthly, the safeguard of truth. The safeguard of truth. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And let's look at verse number 15. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. Pastor Chapel alluded to this yesterday in our time together. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Now notice this. The pillar and ground of the truth. He's simply saying here that the church's job is to protect truth. We don't allow air to come into the church. We must allow the church to be the pillar and the ground of truth. People should pick our church not based on the fact that the nurseries are clean and that the softball teams are good, though we ought to have clean nurseries and good softball teams. The point predominantly, however, is what he's saying here is this, is that the job of the church, predominantly, doctrinally speaking, is to safeguard the truth. You ought to pick a church based on whether truth is proclaimed there or not. Because all churches ought to be safeguarding truth. They're the custodian of it. Now some of you may be on Blue Crew, your custodial staff. What are you as a custodian? What are you doing? Well, you're protecting what has been entrusted to you. Custodians are only usually recognized when they don't do their job. You know, no one usually walks into a restroom and says, wow, what a custodian they have here. They usually don't do that. Usually when it's a mess, they say, where's that custodian? What kind of custodian? People only recognize custodians when custodians don't do their job. We should not be a church that flags people's thinking because we produce error. We should be protecting, custodianing truth. No business can stay in business long if it's not characterized by truth. If you go to a shipping company and you pay for second day air and it takes two weeks for your package to get there, you're probably not going to use that shipping company again. If you go to a restaurant and you order your steak extremely well done and it comes back laying in a pool of blood, you're probably not going to go back to that restaurant. We expect institutions, whether they're shipping companies or whether they're um, uh, restaurants, we expect all institutions to do what they promise. We expect them to be characterized by truth. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's any institution on the face of the earth that ought to be characterized by truth, it ought to be God's church. So you understand, this is very important for those of us who are going to be pastors and preachers. We cannot handle the Word of God deceitfully. We cannot handle the Word of God craftily. How many of you have heard a sermon. Well, you know the pastor believed something and he did every way in his power to get it into the Bible when it really wasn't there. Sure, we've all sat through that. Your job and mine is not to be the author of the letter. It is to be the mailman. And as a mailman, your job is to give the delivery and well, support to the author. 
heard of a guy that was away at war and he wrote his wife, uh, he wrote his girlfriend rather, every day while he was at war and she ended up marrying the mailman. You understand that you and I have to be careful that we don't fall in love predominantly with the people who deliver the mail. We ought to fall in love with the author who wrote the letter. And our job is to present the truth so that people leave with a high view of God. Because God is the author of truth. And it is our job to be the custodian, the deliverer of that truth. So there's a standard of truth, that's Jesus. There's a statement of truth, that's the Bible. There's the supply of truth, that's the Holy Spirit. There's the safeguard of truth, that's the church. And finally, there's the shouting of truth. That's our job. Go to second, third John, rather, third John verse 7. Third John verse 7, the Bible says, Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Notice that these missionaries went out for the sake of the name. My um, niece is here, Libby Lee Kay. Her parents are my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. Her mom and my wife are sisters. And they're missionaries in Belize. They went to Belize for the sake of the name. What name? Well, to Christians, there there are names, but then there's the name. There's the name which is above every other name. There's a name to which everything will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. One day celestial knees, terrestrial knees, and infernal knees will all bow to the name of Jesus Christ. That's the name. So we've come full circle. We started with the standard of truth. We're right back there. There are people who go out for the sake of that name. There is a name that I do highly treasure. And I do what I do for the sake of that name. Now, he says here that people who go out for the sake of the name, he says we ought to receive such. Now, there are numerous words in the New Testament that are translated receive. This particular word receive refers to receiving weight, like a pillar receives weight and supports that weight. Indeed, the idea behind this receiving of weight is support, as a column would support Uh, a floor. He's simply saying that we ought to support such. They're not going to take anything from the Gentiles. They're not going to take it. The heathen aren't going to sign up to support missionaries. The local (laughs) Elks, Moose, or Skunks Lodge is not going to say, hey, we'd like to take on a few missionaries. They're not going to do that. Those that are in business for secular purposes are not interested in spending their money in that regard. So because these people are going out for the sake of the name that we highly treasure, he says that we are morally obligated to support those people. Why? We ought to receive such, here's the purpose clause, that we might be fellow helpers 
to the truth. One of the best ways to stand in truth is to support the propagation of truth. Tell the truth, man. Shout the truth. God does not want us to be a reservoir of truth. God wants us to be a conduit of it. God has given us truth so that we can dispel the darkness of a world that is lost and dying and on its way to hell. It is our job to be fellow helpers to the truth. And the problem about it is that in your neighborhood and mine, in houses not too far removed from this bastion of fundamentalism that you and I sit in, are people who are on their way to an eternal hell because they don't know the truth. But if they only knew the truth, the truth would set them free. And it's our job to take that standard of truth, which is Jesus Christ, and that statement of truth, which is His Word, in the power of that supply of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, under the auspices of the safeguard of truth, which is the local church, and we're to shout from the housetops, truth! In order that people might be delivered from error. The tragic thing is that often in people's lives they'd rather be in error than to be in truth. But no one can be helped if they don't function according to truth. I don't know how many times in ministry someone's come to me and they say, Pastor, I'm having these pains and I think I've got cancer. So why don't you go to a doctor? Well, I know what he's going to tell me. He's going to tell me I've got cancer. Answer the clue phone. You understand that you can only be helped once you get the truth. If you want to live in ignorance, you're not going to be helped. Yesterday, obviously, Dr. R was in a great state of discomfort. Anybody who knows him knows that he wasn't feeling good yesterday. He was a sick puppy. So he decided last night, i got to go to the doctor. i got to find out what's going on. I've got to discover truth. And guess what? They found out that his gallbladder was diseased and it was inflamed and they are going to take it out. Imagine if he didn't want to know. <laughs> Let me close with this. When I was 15 years old, I had a rare genetic crippling disease called Friedrich's ataxia, which was very close to muscular dystrophy. At the time of diagnosis, I could not take more than 15 steps without falling down. The prognosis was not good. By the time I was 18, I was supposed to be in a wheelchair, bedridden by the age of 35, not living to see my 51st birthday. My parents believed that God had better plans for me, so they invited every independent Baptist preacher in my hometown. There were 15 of them. They invited 15 preachers to come and pray for me that God would heal me so that I could live to be a preacher. Of the 15 that were invited, three showed up that night to pray. And those three men put their hands on me and prayed that God would heal me. And as far as I know, I'm the only documented cured case of Friedrich's ataxia in the United States. I don't tell you that for that purpose, but to tell you that when I first had that disease, I went in for some corrective surgeries, and when I was recovering that summer and in a wheelchair and in cast, there was an unusual pain in my foot. 
And I told my mom, I said, that's not normal pain. Something's wrong there. They took me back to the uh, surgeon. He cut a window in the cast where I indicated the pain was coming from. He lifted the window out of that cast and looked down. And one of the surgical incisions had not healed. It was wide open and it was full of pus. And he looked at my mom and he said, hold him. I'm like, what do you mean hold him? <laughs> and he began to go down into that open wound with a sterile gauze and he began to scrape that infection out. I understood now why he wanted my mom to hold me. I mean, I went through the roof. You say, what a mean doctor. What a terrible man, inflicting pain, scaring a young child like that. Oh, no, no, no. You see, there was infection in there, and it had to get out, or I would lose that leg. And that was the truth. You understand that in our society, we have become so consumed with tact that we're not making contact anymore. I'm not saying that you ought to kick people in the shin, spit in their face, and quote John 3.16. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Bless God, I just try to be as mean as possible. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we have allowed the fear of man to box us, that we're not really confident to tell the truth anymore. And that's not our job. I told the staff this yesterday, I'll close with this, that when Roger Clemens made his first All-Star game, he was used to pitching for the Boston Red Sox, so because that was true, he didn't bat. He had a designated hitter. But his first All-Star game was in a National League park, so for the first time in a long time, Roger Clemens was going to have to bat. He stepped into the batter's box and he faced Doc Gooden, who delivered a 95-mile-per-hour fastball right down the heart of the plate. And the umpire said, strike one. Doc Roger Clemens said, I stepped out of the batter's box and I looked at Gary Carter, who was catching, and I said, do my fastballs look like that? And he said, you better believe they do. And he said, wow. He said, I got back in the batter's box and I did strike out. He said, but from that moment on, I was a changed pitcher because I recognized that I did not have to be afraid of batters. Batters had to be afraid of me. And I tell you today that you and I are largely scared of a world when we're the ones packing the truth. We're the ones packing the dynamite. We have the standard of truth. We have the statement of truth. We have the supply of truth. We have been entrusted with being the safeguard of truth. Why would we not shout the truth from the hilltops and be fellow helpers of the truth?